Welcome back, everyone, to Storytelling Podcast Week and our October Roundtable hosted by Motsi Dapple and Reggelli of the High Night Podcast with John Grills from the Creepy Podcast as they dive into the world of horror and Halloween with Creepy's 31 Days of Horror. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, Storytelling Podcast Week has live stream sessions like this one with top podcasters, podcasters and storytellers from scripted fiction and nonfiction podcasts from across our world and our imaginations. We also have exclusive recorded episodes on the Storytelling Podcast Week channel for free. Download the Podbean app and follow the Storytelling Podcast Week channel to receive notifications in real time when we go live, listen to exclusive episodes, and replay all the live streams from all of our events. Storytelling Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. Podbean is a podcast hosting and monetizing platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for this session, you can see we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience. For everyone listening, you can start your own live stream for free on Podbean right here. And now we'll hand it off to our hosts of this live stream, Motsi Doppel and Reg Helly of the High Night Podcast. Hello and welcome. Happy October. Happy October, spoop season. So thanks for that intro, Yay. Norma. Yay. <laughs> thanks for that intro. So as you mentioned, I'm one of the co-hosts. I'm Reg Helly. And I'm Matsi Dapu. And we're from the Hainai Podcast. It's a horror fiction podcast about a Filipina immigrant solving some supernatural occurrences in Toronto. And today joining us is John Grills of the Creepy Podcast. Very, uh, very seasonal. Um, yeah, and I, yep. And today's, and um, yeah, do you want to um, go ahead and introduce yourself, John, and tell us a little bit about your podcast first before, you know, we get into things. Sure. So I'm John Grills of Creepy, and we are a horror fiction podcast, ideally specializing, at least originally, in creepypastas. Creepypastas, for those who aren't familiar with the terms, which I've learned from my neighbors, most people aren't, is a portmanteau of two words, which is the words creepy and copy-pasta, which came out of the 4chan message boards. So it was basically scary stories that were created on the internet. And it's grown from those original creepypastas, like the classics of Ted the Caver and Candle Cove and Russian Sleep Experiment, to what it is today, which has been about four years or four and a half years at this point of us narrating horror stories on a weekly basis. And come October, we do stories every single day. Oh, congrats. Four and a half years. That's a big deal. That's amazing. And we did see that you have like, oh, hundreds of episodes too. Uh, 500 yeah, plus, I, I think. 536. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right on the regular feed. And then I think we've got another five or 600 on Patreon. Wow. <laughs> we have yeah. 16. <laughs> hey, everybody's including bonus somewhere. content. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There was a point yeah. where I had 16 too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, yeah, I, it's so funny. Um, recently, I just got into, I don't know your opinion on it, but like I, I just got started watching Channel Zero, the, the TV show that mm. is based on creepypastas. So, you know, like creepypastas are a wonderful like uh, child of the internet for horror that everyone like who loves horror generally really loves. So it's great that you made a podcast out of it. Yeah, it was just one of those things where I I think I first discovered creepypastas about maybe seven years ago or so. Um, it was randomly, I think I saw them on a YouTube channel because they had largely existed with YouTube narrators at the time. And I was at work one day and I was like, oh, you know, it's been a while since I've heard Ted the Caver. I'd like to listen to it. And my work firewall didn't allow YouTube. Oh, shoot. So... Okay, well, it's probably on a podcast somewhere. And I couldn't find it anywhere on any podcast. And that just turned into one of those moments of, well, if it doesn't exist, why not be the one to do it? So that's That's kind of how Creepy was born. That's perfect. That's perfect. perfect. Yeah, yeah, pretty much filling in like a badly needed niche. That was the hope, yeah. And it's, it's so far it's worked out for us. 
Yeah, and what we, what Motsi and I have um, learned making Hainai, which is also a horror podcast, is audio audio formats are actually very effective in in conveying, yeah, those really like conveying the tension and atmosphere that comes with horror. Like it's it's a different platform for sure than you know visual, but it's also like it has its own appeal. Uh, absolutely agree. It's it, it is a very different medium because you're relying on your listeners to fill in the gaps. It's not visual. You have to convey everything through audio, and that can be really difficult and really wonderful at the same time. But it's kind of like, okay, how do I describe what's going on without a total exposition dump, without pulling people out too much mm-hmm. out of the story and making it feel real and conveying those emotions with just our words it's it's a challenge and a blessing at the same time for sure sure. for sure i think it's like really interesting with horror that um with podcasts i think it's more accessible in general because it's not that podcasts aren't as scary as let's say a tv show or you know um a image but it's like some people who don't like horror because they have a hard time processing horror images but they love horror as a story or as like a mood really love horror podcasts which i think is like it's another like way for them to really enjoy something they enjoy whilst keeping their limits and stuff totally agree and you know with the accessibility that we have on our phones and our computers you can be instead of music at work it can be podcasts and you're not committing yourself to sitting down for a half hour 45 minutes an hour and directing your attention to the screen. Like you can go about your day, you can mow your lawn, you can cook, you can do whatever. Mm -hmm. That is the main appeal for me as someone with ADHD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Anyway, so I think, um, yeah, I think you're going to give a live reading of um, one of your episodes from your 31 Days of Horror. Is that right? I am one that we haven't released, and I don't think oh. it'll be coming out for a couple of weeks at this point. Oh, that's very, <laughs> very exciting. So before we get into that, I just want to remind the listeners that the chat is open. If you want to, if you have any questions or give a shout out, um, you can um, you can chime in with um, where you're listening from. And uh, thanks for being here. So we yeah, can, John, we'll, take yeah, it we'll away. Cover as many as we can, like after mm-hmm. when, when after John the. Comes. After the, After live, the reading. live reading, yeah, you can li- okay. you can give your live reacts. You know, give us some love. Give John some love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so John, All right. take it away. All right, where it rains, meet. I grew up in a little town in Kentucky near a place that had the dubious distinction of being the site of the Kentucky meat shower. Oh, hold on, just wait. I, I know. I know how it sounds. When folks from these parts venture to other parts and start talking and people hear how slow we talk and where we're from, we get all kinds of reactions. Like we're dumb and backwater and don't know what we're talking about. Now, those first two things might be true, but I know what I know. Let me start with what people mostly know. The Kentucky Meat Shower, as it became known, was an incident occurring between the morning hours of 11 and 12 o'clock and lasted for several minutes on March the 3rd, 1876. Witnesses claimed that chunks of red meat, about two by two inches, some twice that size, fell from the sky in a football field-sized area near Olympia Springs in Bath County, Kentucky. No, seriously, go look it up. But if you do, you'll see they came up with all kinds of reasons for what happened. Most people seem to believe the vulture theory that a whole big flock of vultures threw up their meals in midair. <laughs> I tell you what, though, that had to have been one colossal-sized flock of vultures. Nobody could tell what kind of meat it was. People saying all sorts of stuff like beef, lamb, deer, horse, or even human. I guess some local hunter actually tried the meat and claimed it was bear. But no one knew for sure. I guess some scientists even got hold of it and claimed it was lung tissue from either a horse or a human baby. Now, I ain't a scientist, so I can't tell you why those two things are related. 
At the time, there was this farmer's wife, Mrs. Crouch, making soap on her porch when she reported seeing the meat pieces fall from the sky. She said she was 40 steps from her house when the meat started to slap the ground. She said the meat looked grisly. Mrs. Crouch and her husband said the event signified a sign from God. I guess something similar happened in Europe sometime later, but I can't remember the where or when of that one. See, that town, regardless of whatever rumblings they might have had initially, moved on. There were other things to worry about. Better things, I suppose. I'm pretty sure it was better off for them. Problem was, I'm from a town close to there. And while we didn't see it directly, we heard about it. And sometimes that's so much worse when you ain't got anyone who actually saw it. That's when the rumors really start to take hold. I think it was the rumors that did us in. Rumors fed belief. And sometimes, the worst thing you can do is believe in something. See, my town took the side of the Crouch family, thinking it was a sign from God. And between you and me, it was. Just not the God you're thinking. See, when the incident happened over in Olympia Springs, we had some locals who... Well, let's say they had some fringe religious beliefs. They started to believe that whatever happened was more significant. Now, I don't know how it went from A to B to C to where it got to when I was growing up. But there were certain things we did and certain things we didn't do. The main thing we didn't do, no matter what the other kids said they did, was stare at the full moon. See, there's all kinds of beliefs about the moon. I think they're Egyptian. Something about an eye looking down on us. Deuteronomy 4.19 says to be careful about looking up and worshiping the moon. Paraphrasing, of course. Maybe the point of it was about loving God and that, it being the Bible and all. Excepting that we proved it was actually a warning. See, when the moon is full out, town rule is you don't look up and stare at it. You be on your best behavior. That's when whatever's up there is watching the most intent and wants you believing in it. Now, you can look at it, the moon, I mean. That's where things get complicated. But you can't stare at it like a staring contest. Because if you do, you have to keep staring at it. That's right. A staring contest with the moon. And you don't want the moon to blink first. And you can't intentionally blink first. You have to lose naturally. Because if you see the moon blink, it means the end for you. Because our God is a petulant one. Ain't nobody ever going to see you again. At least not whole. Now, I can't speak for other places and towns around the world. I can't tell you if it's only where we are. That it's some place that whatever God it is wants us to keep on believing and fearing him. Or if it's actually everywhere and we're just the ones that keep it going. That we're the ones fearing and believing. And I'm not telling you to try the same thing. I recommend you don't. Because once in a while, it rains in our town. I've seen it myself. And the plopping sound on the sidewalk ain't the sound of fat drops of water. It's skin and bone. And sometimes that skin will have ink on it. Sometimes that bone will have jewelry around it. And we know someone won the staring contest. And they lost, too. Because our God don't like to lose. Usually figure it was someone drunk or high or from another town that thought we was joking. We don't joke about that. Take care of you and yours this time of year. Don't go tempting fate and doing scary things. Because scary things is bound to happen in return. That's coming from the youngest of five kids. Except we used to be six. Don't stare. It's impolite. The end. I love that. That was fantastic. Mm -hmm.
I want to read a Thanks. message just from one of our listeners right now. It's I, I, I can't pronounce this correctly. I think it's P eight. So it's Padraig or Padraig six nine nine. They said uh, it took me about a year to listen to every episode and catch up. But it's a lot, but it's so good. Aww, they listen to yeah. every episode. Thank you so much. I gotta say, this is the first time because I I suck at blinking contests, and I gotta say, I think this is the first time that's, that's put me at an advantage. Yeah, you're just gonna lose. Yeah, that's good. Great. Perfect. You win. <laughs> um, have you seen? It was going around Twitter. I don't know if you're on there much, but I like to follow horror artists on Twitter, and this kind of reminded me a little bit of a, a drawing that was going around. It was. Um, it was the moon, but it wasn't the moon and the cap, like it was a creepy face and the caption was what you're seeing is not the moon, which I think is also a fun. Oh, scary. Okay. It's like, yeah, Yeah, I'm not on Twitter, but yeah, that that's enough for me. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's super pretty much. Um, Yeah. And there is like, and there is something like just flesh horror like it's it's a different it's its own breed of horror it's our first episode was flesh horror and i think everyone mm. was very happy not happy everyone was very um <laughs> yeah it gets under it get, yeah it gets under your skin because it's flesh horror <laughs> yeah we did it <laughs> but, we got <laughs> it's the leonardo dicaprio meme where he just points at the screen <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just laughing. <laughs> yeah, sure. but yeah, pretty much. Like it's it's creepy in that sense, and it's just it's just so delight. I don't like weird word tease, but like that kind of horror. Like it's honest. Like it's scary but delightful to listen to. I really love that. Yeah, Padraig says, I always love a John narration, plus got to love the idea of mystery meat fall from the sky. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, who doesn't the, love the idea of mystery meat falling from the sky? Exactly. Yeah. The, uh, cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Yeah, Reg just mentioned <laughs> cloudy with a chance of meatballs. And that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who wrote that, by the way? Uh, I actually did. Nice. Oh, you did. Oh, that's amazing. Fun. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I, so I, I love like unsolved, spooky incidents, and the Kentucky meat shower is a real thing. Ooh. And I was reading about it. What? And I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a real thing. I so like all the, the dates yeah. that I mentioned in it, yeah, it's true. And so like any <laughs> of those little facts that I do in like the first half of it, that's actually what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's oh, a, a that's interesting. A supernatural incident too. <laughs> <laughs> Kentucky yeah. and shower. evidently it has yeah it has happened you know i mentioned it happened over in europe and it did happen i think in two other places at some point where meat fell from the sky and nobody knew what it was oh my gosh <laughs> art imitates life art imitates yeah. life life imitates art oh that's life imitates art that is wonderful. Yes, and, and um, yeah, and this is going to be this is going to be released as part of your thirty-one days of horror. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I am trying to remember when. I think this isn't going to show up until around the twenty-second. Nice one. I believe um, your thirty-one days of horror. You're at day five. Your latest one was day five. Uh, yes, just released day five. Uh huh. Yeah. So, do you want to tell us a little bit more about um, like this this project of yours, uh, Thirty One Days of Horror? I think this is like your fourth or fifth year doing it. Yeah, our fifth. And I I've said it before. I I never thought we'd do a second. Uh, when I originally, <clears throat> excuse me, when I originally started doing creepy, my intention wasn't to go past the first October. I started podcasting doing another uh, uh, audio drama called small town horror. And it was uh, a more personal story for me. It was something that I had written and produced and, and done all myself, you know, with help other voice actors and uh, sound designers and composer, but it was really personal and it actually took a lot out of me um, because there was just more tied to it. I, I felt more personally invested and I started doing creepy, like I said, because I thought that there should be a podcast that involved creepy pastas. And I, the community really helped out the other people in the horror fiction community because I'm terrible at sound design. 
and things like that. So I kind of leaned on the help of other people who had already done it and we would do cross promotions for the other shows. And, you know, by the time I think August hit or so, I was just wiped out emotionally, financially, you know, there was no money in what I was doing. And I got to that point where I was like, all right, we'll do October and I'll be done. I just thought it would be cute to end with, like, I kind of want to wrap things up, but there's still some more stories I want to do and what's a way I could do it. And I was like, I'd never heard of a podcast doing, you know, a podcast every single day in October, at least not in the fiction realm. And now I'm sure it's very common. I'm sure there's people who podcast every day all the time. And I just figure, okay, we'll do the first 31 days of horror. We'll do 31 stories. We'll wrap up all these extra creepypastas that I want to get through and I'll be done. It was insanely exhausting. It was so much work. I did all the narration myself. I fortunately met my longtime producer, Steve Blizzen, who was able to help me with a lot of sound design. And around the same time, uh, Bloody Disgusting reached out to me. Bloody Disgusting being basically the premier horror site on the internet. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, why? I was like, hi, and why are you interested in talking to me? <laughs> like, I just, I just do these little scary stories. Like, no, yeah, we we really like them, and you know, we'd like to get more into the podcasting space. And so that kind of planted the seed. But I was still like, oh, I'm exhausted. There's a lot of work. I have a day job. I have my family. And I was like, okay, well, we'll keep it up for a little while after the 31 Days of Horror. We'll do it for like another month. Maybe we'll get lucky and start to get some advertising or, or something out of it. And about two weeks after the first 31 Days of Horror, I lost my job. And then it turned into, okay, I'm going to focus on the podcast. So I don't think about all the other things that my brain wants to think about, like not having money or employment or prospects or any of that other stuff and that just kind of steamrolled that i started doing podcasts every day after that too so i think between i think between october 1st and january 1st we did 70 some episodes and it and it just kind of kept going from there it worked you know our patreon started to, to pick up a lot more and i was like okay let's see where this can go and now, four and a half years later, we're on our fifth 31 Days of Horror. And sometimes I'm like, why did I do it that first time and set a standard for myself so early? And because I know how much work, you know, I start thinking about it probably in April to start figuring out the stories and getting submissions and getting everything plotted out. And I have an entire wall of my house that's a, basically a giant calendar with what stories we're going to narrate, who's narrating it, when we need to buy, like what stage of production are they in? And it's very, very exhausting. We're still only about halfway through production for the month. And it's a lot of work, but it's also our favorite time of year. And we get such great response from people. It's like, all right, this is the bet I made for myself. Like we're just, we're going to keep doing it. <laughs> that does, that sounds, yeah, exhausting, but amazing. Yeah, and you're doing a f great job. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Exactly. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's work for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and for sure, Monty and I, we definitely relate with all of that. Like, mm -hmm. we started Hainai, um, but we didn't really know <laughs> what we really, really know what we were getting into when we decided to make this podcast. I don't think people really do. <laughs> when you start podcasting, well, let me amend that. I think people who stick with it and really, it really starts to open their eyes and change their lives with podcasting. I think a lot of them kind of go in blind of, you know, especially like audio drama and audio fiction. It's a lot. It's not Absolutely. sitting down and having an interview or a conversation with someone, which is its own art form. And I'm not taking away from really great interviewers out there, but the amount of planning you have to do and writing the script and performing the script and editing and putting everything together so it sounds as polished and natural as it possibly can is a is so many hours for someone to listen to a 15, 20, 30 minute story. 
it's a ton of work. (laughs) And I think the people that stick with it and they really find that joy and that passion for it, it's kind of an evolution in your thinking. Because I think a lot of people get into podcasting and, you know, they do it for five, six, ten episodes and they're like, this is too much work. Or they thought it was going to be something else. You know, they thought they were suddenly going to be the next Joe Rogan or the next Bill Burr mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. some huge, po- as opposed to, no, it, it takes time and help. And it it helps if you know people in the community already that can help support you and get your name out there because there's something like a million podcasts available out on Apple podcasts and, and Spotify and Podbean. And there's so many options. Absolutely. Getting people to listen to your voice can be, especially now it's getting harder and harder as even though the audience keeps growing, there's so many voices to choose from. Absolutely. And like with the way the like podcasting has just been proliferating like recently, like it's also, um, yeah, like the community is also growing. And um, that's honestly like one of the best things about the podcast community is just like when you make your own podcast, you're also making like in, like building a community around it. And that's something Motsi and I didn't expect. And it's we are just so thankful thankful for it and it's one of the things like helping to push us along yeah it's really easy to feel like you're creating in a vacuum you know i've been podcasting for six years or so and even now you know i get my script i go down where i go downstairs where i record i record it come upstairs edit it or send it out for production and it's me it's me doing it And even if there are other actors in the script, like I don't, we all record independently. If there are multiple speaking roles, like we don't, we're not in the same space. We're not on zoom. We're not interacting off each other. Like I'm very fortunate with our narrators that they're really good at being able to record independently in a really natural tone that, that works conversationally. And so it's really easy to just to feel like isolated and okay, I'm just doing this thing. And then it gets out there and you get a comment on social media, you get a new Patreon member, you get an email and you're like, oh, people hear me. Like, I'm not doing this alone. Like, I know I'm not doing this alone. I know I'm doing it for other people, but there's a huge disconnect because you don't see those people and they don't see you. All they do is hear your voice and it can be really scary and really frustrating, but also like insanely fulfilling when you're like, someone is listening. Someone does hear this. I am doing something that helps brighten the day of someone I've never met before. And that's like, there's no words to describe that feeling. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. much. That's so. beautifully put. Yeah. We do have, we have a discord um, community and that has been one of the driving forces of our podcast, like in terms of continuously creating continuously making you know being happy to keep making new things because just yesterday i received uh not a direct message but a message in the discord that our podcast was somebody's favorite and i was and that was like something you know that was a whole other thing i was like i know people like our podcast but to be somebody's favorite is such a (laughs) it kind of you know it it empowers me throughout at least the next five episodes (laughs) you know what i mean yeah, it's huge. And I know I felt that way because I like the medium and the genre that I'm within. There's so many great podcasts out there. And when someone, I'm horrible at taking compliments anyway. So when someone, if somebody says, like, you're my favorite podcast, I kind of want to be like, are you sure? Like, thank you. Are you sure? And, about that? Well, yeah, but what about what about those podcasts over there? Like I'm yeah, like what, what deflecting listeners to other places, and eventually you, you just try and like take like now I think that stuff and I don't say it. <laughs> now it's more thank you so much for listening. I really I really appreciate you reaching out and take the compliment as opposed yeah. to deflecting and telling someone else. Well, you you can't be right. Your feelings are incorrect. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, like. 
thank you. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you. And you are the reason we are con- we are continuing even when <laughs> even when things feel like, you know, throwing your work into the void. It is not a void. Sometimes yeah. It's it, it, great. And those little moments, I think people get really hesitant to reach out to creators that they really like, whether it's writers or voice actors or stage and screen actors or whatever. And I understand, you know, if, if I suddenly, you know, wrote a email to like Chris Evans or something like telling him, like I loved Captain America or I loved him in Knives Out or whatever, I wouldn't expect to get a response back. You know, I'm like, oh, how many times do they get a message? And, or I'd assume their representative reaches out or something. So someone sends me an email more often than not, especially like during the workday, I have my email up and I respond back and they're like, I didn't think you'd get back to me. I'm like, I'm just a guy sitting in my house in Minnesota. Like I'm not <laughs> on a press tour. I'm, I'm absolutely here. Like I love hearing from people and it does, it makes so much difference because if all you ever heard was negative feedback, you'd quit, you know? So sometimes that voice that a person doesn't think they have is the voice that keeps someone going and like not to be afraid to just put yourself out there and just be like, Hey, I really like that episode. Hey, I really like that book. Hey, I really like that song. Like that's huge. And I don't think that people appreciate the impact that they can have on the listener side of things. And I wish they would like anyone listening to this, like just post on your favorite creators, Instagram or Twitter or email account or whatever. And just say, Hey, I really love this episode. Thank you so much. Just something simple. Like you don't even need to put yourself out there. You don't need to give any personal information or talk about the impact necessarily, But just like those little things, like they really do make a difference in a world full of bad news. Like those like little rays of sunshine mean everything. That is exactly right. And speaking of um, messages from wonderful people uh, in the comments, Derek Deutsch says, small town horror was amazing. And also, John, I really respect your level of connection and interaction with your community. It's so awesome. So there's Derek. Derek is a, not only a fantastic writer and an excellent patron. He's a a part of my Patreon community and I love our patrons so much. We've got such a great group of people who have been supporting the show over the years. And I do try and go that extra mile. Um, I mean, and that's advice for any creators out there who have Patreon or whatever sort of, kind of crowdfunding support program that you use platform just just remember that there are people on the other side too like yes they're giving you money to create a thing or for content or whatever but they're still people and they're still choosing to do what they're doing with their money like especially during really hard times and just like so i love like i feel super guilty if i don't reach out at least every you know, two weeks or so with something that isn't bonus content and bonus episodes and just be like, Hey, how's everyone doing? Like, Mm -hmm. Hey, I just wanted to say thank you. Just a reminder. And, you know, because, you know, like I said, they can, they can choose what to do with their money. And I totally understand if people have hard times or they decide that the content isn't what they wanted. I, I am just happy they were there in the first place. Like I never thought it would get to where it wouldn't like, from the beginning so like it's impossible for me to forget it now mm-hmm. i feel exactly the same and yeah um i i did want to ask you uh you can actually so you can pick from these questions if you want to because you know like just to have a little bit more engagement um uh, either <clears throat> sorry either you can let us know what other horror media you're super into that's not creepypastas or you know like other horror media or you can um I guess ask us a question like either one like it's and it's free game because we're happy to have you and this is just like this is fun because it's it's spooks month and you are a master of it so this has been a great discussion so far i i'll say i'm a ranked amateur i don't know about a master <laughs> i'll still leave that to people like to, Stephen King to and, podcasters and, and like Flanagan, me and Motsi, so. you definitely already our rank of master so (laughs) (laughs) well thank you very much 
See, and that's not me deflecting. I deflected it first. I pulled it back. <laughs> Are you sure? Just Are be, just be great. You what, gotta what, do the you gotta do the the Asian standard of deflecting at least once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that's, once our or Minnesota, twice. that's our Minnesota nice too. You have to. Oh no, not me. Oh jeez. Oh jeez. Oh, oh no. <laughs> uh, you know, I consume horror a lot, mostly mostly movies. I really got into Midnight Mass, Mike Flanagan's <gasps> I just finished uh, it! It's beautiful, beautiful finale. We won't we won't spoil anything. Just no spoilers. Nope. Nope. And I must no say, spoilers. I must say, the funniest thing about this is that I was like, oh, I'm going to watch Midnight Mass. I'm going to watch Midnight Mass. Every single one of my friends is like, go watch Midnight mm. Mass. Went over to a friend's house, watched Midnight Mass. I did not watch midnight mass instead i was like oh okay i'll go watch uh the first season of channel zero and that's what i'm doing right now because i was supposed Uh, to watch midnight mass and i I get it we also have too many choices these days absolutely sometimes you get paralyzed by the choices yeah, I mean, I do another podcast too for Bloody Disgusting, where we just talk about horror that we love and like what's in the news and things like that. And so, Midnight Mass was kind of an afterthought for me. I was like, oh, I haven't really watched anything this week. So, like right before recording, like the morning of, I'm like, all right, I'll watch an episode of Midnight Mass so I can talk about that. And then by the time we recorded, I'd watched four episodes <laughs> because of, you know Mike Flanagan is so good at ending an episode with you being like, okay, what ha- what happens next? You know, like haunting of, or house on haunted hill or haunting pill house. Like they, uh, like the his miniseries so far have been. He does such an amazing mix of horror and heartfelt emotion. That there is one scene in particular that anyone who's seen it, it involves two people on a couch. That was like that was there my aren't a lot of times. I think it's going to be everyone's favorite where you're sitting there and you're like, I didn't think I was going to be crying during a horror like show. Like what is going on? Like Mike Flanagan. I think that was a, something Megan Navarro. Who's the, the lead, the head movie critic over bloody disgusting said is like, and yes, there are monologues like in a positive way because he does such great monologues in his mini series where the actors just get these really amazing moments to just like speak from the heart of their characters. It's like, ah, oh, that's so good. And, equal, and you know, Midnight Mass for me was also really frustrating. Like I almost didn't want to finish it because one character in particular, I just hate it. But if that's you know, good you know, good acting. Yeah. If you know, you know, but that's good writing and good acting, you know, like I, you have to respect it at that level. You can hate the character fine, but it's like, oh, but they're doing something right. If I hate them this much. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I think like with Mike Flanagan's work, this, this round table just turned into a Mike Flanagan. <laughs> yeah, Mike Flanagan's okay. fangirl. <laughs> fangirl talk. This is our moment like to a, tell Mike Flanagan yeah. how much we love him. Hey, Mike Flanagan. Don't deflect. <laughs> <laughs> you know you're listening right now you're one of the yeah. right yeah like his works always because yep. i am such a, a baby when it comes to horror so i have no idea why i got into this genre in the first place mm. yeah <laughs> and and like with his works i'm all, like i always start out like i can't i'm too scared i can't watch anymore <laughs> I'm, I'm stopping i can't i'm not doing this anymore and then by the last episode i'm like a, a crying mess well, that's actually one of the, the things that I love about horror, and I think not all horror fans feel this way, but I think a large percentage of the community realizes is that horror is all about vulnerability. And one, we're allowing ourselves to be scared. We're letting ourselves be in that place. And a lot of people don't like it. You know, I have plenty of people who, if they hear I'm a podcaster or that I do like scary stories or something like that, they're like, oh, I don't like horror. I'm like, I get it. Like, that's fine. It doesn't bother me at all because it takes a certain level of uh, vulnerability to put yourself in that place, to willfully let yourself be scared. But the base of all of it is fear and emotion and something that we all have. Like, that's the, the thing that really ties horror lovers together 
is fear because every single person in the world has fear and we're acknowledging it and accepting it and putting ourselves in the middle of it. And it's like this really awesome level of vulnerability that yes, it's scares and everything else, but at the very heart of it, it's not being afraid of scary emotions and being okay with crying and being, you know, like and using it for like, like a mode of confronting our own fears in life and seeing the scary things in the world and being like, okay, I can get through this. And maybe, maybe that's just a too romantic version of horror for me, but I know that horror has gotten me through really hard times. The first horror story I ever wrote was me processing like one of the hardest times in my life up to that point. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. And I wrote a horror story about it because that was, it was my fear and my anxiety turned into horror. And I twisted it into my own way to a different message about like this, this level of anxiety and fear and doubt and, and basically into this monster on the page. And it was cathartic. It was a way for me to process what was going on and a way for me to like admit my own fear and vulnerability without going out there and saying like, Hey everyone, I'm scared and vulnerable because this just happened to me. So I was still able to keep up this wall of what was going on in my life and not overshare, but get it out there. And I think a lot of people use horror as catharsis in their own lives. And I know I've heard it from people who write in talking about like the, the, the pain that they're going through and that they listen to horror to get through the pain because at the very core of it, it's about fear and emotion and loss and catharsis. And I think it takes a really specific level of vulnerability, whether people are willing to admit it or not, because there's still plenty of people who sit there with their arms crossed, like, I'm not scared. I just like the blood or something like that. (laughs) But it does take, but you have to be willing to put yourself in a vulnerable place. And that's really special at the same time, especially for people who are trying to deal with really difficult things in their own lives. And they're able to confront it in an indirect way. So, yeah, like there's plenty of times where there, there's certain horror movies where I'm like, oh, I'm going to be uncomfortable watching this one. But I, but like I hear it's really good. I'm like, all right, I'll give this a shot. And maybe I love it. Maybe I don't because it's all individual taste anyway. But, you know, you put yourself there and sometimes you're happy you got through it. And, you know, sometimes you see a scene with two people talking on a couch and you start crying. <laughs> sometimes you <laughs> see some scary clown trying to pull kids down into a sewer and you're terrified by it. And, you know, but it's like, it's that admission of emotion and acknowledgement of emotion instead of deflecting and changing the subject directly, you know, that, that really has a lot of power to it. Yep. I, I yeah. agree because that's basically mm-hmm. why we started High Night as well. It was, yeah, it, we started during the pandemic, which is, you know, <clears throat> a hard enough time for anyone in anyone's lives. Yeah. But it was also a way to communicate like certain things. Um, we were ne- we we're never shy about how Hai and I, for being a you know pretty uh, uh, self-contained um, horror about supernatural horror, uh, which is like semi monster of the week up until it isn't. But um, we were never shy about the fact that Hai and I is also very political. It's um, because because uh, c- we're both Filipina. Um, I live in. Toronto right now, so I live in Canada right now, but registered in the Philippines, and I only moved here a couple of years ago. And I kind of fashioned High Night after that idea of an immigrant moving to Toronto. But a lot of what we cover is very like um, it, it covers a lot of ongoing kind of I guess you could say societal trauma that's happening and the social trauma, and it's. Uh, something that I think horror does a great job of doing, and I think my my personal, you know, uh, my personal preference is supernatural horror, uh, in part because of how it culturally like attaches to my roots as a Filipino. 
So it's it. I do understand when you say that horror is about vulnerability. Horror is about processing certain things that are happening. I think that's why, especially in the Philippines, but I think all over the world, people love a go- good ghost story. People love a good um, cryptid or or like event story that happens in their own home or some somewhere that they find familiar, because it kind of communicates something else. There's always something else behind the horror. And maybe some people enjoy just the horror and don't want to look into it, and that's fine. But I think when you look at all the horror stories, they always reflect something that's happening in the time, or at least in the psyche of the person telling the story. And I think that's always such an interesting thing. You always learn something different than what you go into when you're listening to a horror story. And I think that's really cool. And I just want to go back into like some of the comments uh gagbag246 says love the conversation norma jean at says uh horror is a vast genre and people are always looking for new podcasts and content so that's very true and yeah like it it is wonderful to be able to talk to uh, another person who <laughs> loves horror as much as we do and um yeah i guess i do want to uh, before because we are kind of like um almost hitting the hour but i do want to ask outside of horror um, because you know as much as we love spoops month and as much as we adore like all of this like all of the scary stuff that we can be talking about um what stuff do you enjoy that is not horror related or whether it's a hobby or a tv show or some kind of media um well i'm a huge fan of the great british bake-off uh it's there is something it's such um like a palate cleanser for me because it's so neutral on the positive side of things there is no money involved there's no maliciousness it's literally just like hey bake this thing and then they do the best they possibly can and sometimes it doesn't work out but sometimes it's amazing and like the judges aren't there to tell them it's terrible. Like, Oh, that that's garbage. You shouldn't be a baker as opposed to like, they want you to do something really great. Like it's actually really supportive. And the other contestants are like helping them out when they can't get through stuff. And like, it's just charming and quaint and probably the antithesis of anything that would show up on American television. And yet at the same time, be that like widely consumed by American audiences too, because I think we're also like, yeah, we don't need to see trash talk all the time. We don't need to see people putting each other down. It's like, it's just like this really like pure competition. That's not like, and you get $10,000 if you eat this, like, no, just let them bake, let them make something delicious and beautiful and, and move on from that. So yeah, things. I do hear. Yeah. I do hear it's very wholesome. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's great. Like the new season's out, and I'm I'm a little bit mad that they've gone back to like or that they do weekly releases. It's like no, give me a season. <laughs> I want to sit down and watch oh, it. Oh, I haven't had the privilege of watching. Although I did see like the the clips of when James McAvoy was on it. Oh, Star sure. Baker, I think. Yeah, that was. Yeah, really you great. you've got a huge back catalog, so you could just <laughs> dig right in. Just. Just in the background, I'm not even a baker, and sometimes it's like, wow, I kind of want to bake a pie right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I do get the appeal because I get I'm super into nailed it. <laughs> yeah, well, and honestly, like I just one of my favorite things in the world is watching or listening to people who are passionate about their passions, you know, as opposed to, and unfortunately, social media can become such a toxic place when you suddenly see like top 10 horror movies that everyone loved, but you hate, like, why are you doing that? Why are you highlighting (laughs) someone not liking a thing? If someone doesn't like a thing, that's totally fine. You don't need to judge them for it, but why are you highlighting this thing that someone else loves and then trying to point out, Oh, this is trash. I hate this. And, or people come out to like, you know, you know, unpopular opinion, but I think this is terrible. Like, why are you, why, why did you do that? Like, why are you trying to bring like hatred into these things? If you don't like a thing, that's totally fine. 
you're not wrong for not liking a thing. What I don't understand is people trying to get other people to join them in their dislike of a thing. Mm -hmm. So something that's really great is like the masterclass series. It's Mm -hmm. just the masterclass app or whatever. And like, it's hearing like these industry professionals, you know, like for cooking, it's like Wolfgang Puck and Gordon Ramsay and Aaron Franklin and, and the writers and artists and photographers and all these things. And they're talking just like passionately about this thing they love. Like, um, a, a good example is, um, um, I just said his name and I already forgot it. Gordon Ramsay okay. is an amazing chef. He always has been, he's been one of the greatest in the world for the last 20 years. And, but a lot of, a lot of his passion gets lost in, the you know, him hating things or yelling at people on TV mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. But when you see him cook, he literally like bounces with joy as he's cooking and like seeing that level of like passion and enjoyment in a thing is so infectious for me. When I hear someone, even if it's a thing that I'm like, Oh my, I am never going to make that. I'm never going to write that. I'm never going to create that. But they love this thing so much. Like, how can you not like want that in your life to just hear that joy when you turn on the news and you see the top, you know, 10 things that you should, that are like leading the world to destruction or society's crumbling or whatever. It's like, I just want to watch British people bake things and be super happy about it (laughs) and and let that energy translate. Like let's bring more of that. It's uh, one of my favorite things is the, is the YouTube poll of just um, people, those random videos where it's like this expert talks about this thing that they really like. And then you just talk about like, you don't know anything. You had zero interest in, um, I don't know, like handcrafted, like, uh, you know, like handcrafted thing that you're never going to use, but they speak about it and they talk about something they love. And it's one of the most wonderful cathartic, 30 minute videos yeah absolutely and like a thing like a new thing i think that people are doing is like they get a group of friends together and then and then each one kind of just uh like gives like a powerpoint presentation on something (laughs) yeah like a like a five to ten minute presentation on something they like it's like a powerpoint party that's adorable it sounds wonderful i'm i'm not a particularly big Eli Roth fan, like horror fan, the creator of like Hostel mm-hmm. and Cabin Fever and things like that. But I've heard him talk about horror and like his love for horror and the history of horror. And it's so infectious because oh, yeah, you can, sure. the byproduct, whatever people create is subjective to whether you like it or not, that's fine. But when you hear that passion behind it is so much more enjoyable. Like Stephen King, for whatever people think of him, on any regard, if you don't like his writing, if you don't like the movie translations, whatever, he is the biggest horror fan in the world. Like he comes out and he's talking about, I love this. Like, this is amazing. People look at this, like all of his books and short stories are being adapted into movies and screenplays and TV shows and everything else anyway. And he could totally just be like, yes, awesome. This is, this is for me, but he doesn't. He's like, Go, go read this book. Go check out this podcast. You know, check out this movie. I thought this ad- adaptation was amazing. And then people are like, what are you kidding? Like, first of all, why are you arguing with a master of horror? And then, and then why are you arguing with someone who says, I really love this thing? You don't have to argue. You can just yeah, be like, yeah, it's, it's I, I didn't enjoy it that much. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And before, well, before we kind of end on this episode, I did want to mm-hmm. mention we one got thing. five minutes left on, Mm -hmm. Based on you telling, like, one of my favorite things in the entire world uh, is kind of timely, is when something is objectively, you know, from the standard of, like, many professionals, bad, but everyone loves it. And currently that is Venom. Are you going to talk about Venom? I knew you were going (laughs) to talk about Venom. (laughs) I love Venom with all my heart. Um, When I... When, it, when the first trailer came out of the first movie, in my mind, I was like, this is going to be bad. I didn't, like, trash talk it. I wasn't going to, you know, go into it. I, I just wasn't going to check it out. And then I started hearing that it was bad. So, And then somebody said, you should watch it. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'll watch it. 
And in the theater, I ha- was like a child. I was like, <laughs> during certain scenes, I was ba- in the back of my seat and I was like cheering out loud in the theater, um, which I hadn't done in so long. And well, it's, it, and it is like, yeah, it is wonderful to see something that is objectively because I do, you know, so I do movie criticisms, I do all that. And I understand like at least, you know, the build of a movie or something. And I can say, yeah, it's, it's a pretty bad movie, but it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I'm hearing the same yeah. out of Venom too, you know? It, yeah, and that's, and that's kind of like, the, that's the difficult part of like things like Rotten Tomatoes that people have been leaning on so heavily for the tomato meter, whatever it's called. And like, oh, well, Rotten Tomatoes says it's terrible. It's like going on Yelp and being like, I, me- I literally remember walking behind this group of like, like 20 somethings on the street like a year or two ago and like oh should we go to whatever this place that we were near and they pull up the yelp review like 3.5 not going there like you've never even been there and now you're trusting all these strangers and it could be your new favorite place and you and you're not even giving it a chance because of this rant this arbitrary review system that doesn't mean anything Mm-hmm. Like it's just yeah. out there to give people a chance to voice their opinion. That's fine. But it's when, when you take yeah, it as it a barometer for this thing is good for everybody, that's just dangerous. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is, is a, a shame. Is like it really deprives. Yeah. Like it really deprives people of like opportunities and experiences that, yeah. you know, yeah. It could that change their lives have. for the better Absolutely. too. <laughs> Plus, yeah, like there's a store near where I live with a couple of like really great reviews, but there are a couple of reviews that are bad and they're really bad reviews. And I looked at it and literally all it was, was that they wouldn't let them in when they weren't wearing masks at the height of the pandemic. And I'm like, sometimes you, sometimes the people who are telling you it's bad are bad. So you should make your own decision. Yeah, exactly. It's you have to ask yourself, well, why did they hate it so much? Especially when people leave a, a star review and, and don't tell you why. It's like, well, what yeah. you, you just gave it one star and then didn't say anything? Like like this is someone's life. This is someone's yeah, business. And you're mm-hmm. sometimes, yeah. Oh, but it just it's I think it's also an unfortunate way for people who don't feel power in their own lives at the moment to feel powerful. And that's to yeah. take something away from someone else and it's a a horrible cycle because i can't imagine anyone leaves a one-star review and then it's like you know what i feel happier about life now i'm going to be a more positive person instead of yeah i knocked them down a peg i'm going to do this again like that's it's just a really dangerous slippery slope instead of being like this thing wasn't for me and that's okay i'm going to go find a thing that is for me Exactly. And circling back to horror, I mean, like we're kind of circling back as we end this episode soon because we have hit an R, but it has been a wonderful discussion. But circling back to horror, one of the things I love about the horror genre as a whole, other than being very, having so much variety, is that there are many, many, many films, you know, stories that one would describe as bad, but people love them, which is what the B-horror movie, you know, the B-horror movies are all about, like really... Love a good B horror movie. Yeah, like really grotty, really like low, quote unquote low tier. But when you watch it, you have like there's a certain joy in all of that. And in horror, having something be quote unquote bad is still its own like like something people revel in, which I think is wonderful. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the eighties were so good for bad horror, (laughs) quote unquote bad horror. You know, it's like awesome. Because it's going to be someone's favorite thing. Absolutely. And yeah, Yeah. this has been like a really great discussion. I wish we could continue, but unfortunately, (laughs) time is up. Although I do love that we ended on such a positive, wholesome note. And before we end, so um, before we end, so for our listeners right now, John, do you want to share anything else going on with you do you want to plug anything anything coming up um let our listeners oh, know. oh man i need to do more stuff <laughs> oh, no, that, Dang, you do have i don't think there's enough hours and, uh just if people want to check out the 31 days of horror they can just search creepy on their favorite podcast app and like i said two stories every day to the end of october and then unfortunately i think october ends on a saturday so there'll be a 
a Sunday episode immediately after that too. They probably I think have to actually, check my it's calendar. on Sunday. The um, October thirty one is on Sunday. Oh, yeah. oh okay. I think that saves me a little bit. Sundays, so. <laughs> so yeah. Otherwise, yeah. No, it was, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Absolutely. Thank thanks for being here. So this was awesome. a really, really great roundtable. Yeah, yeah I absolutely so much. love this. So I'm going to read our brief outro. Uh, thank you again, everyone, for joining us for this live stream, the October Roundtable, hosted by Motsi Doppel and Rachelli of the High Night Podcast with John Grills from the Creepy Podcast as they dive into the world of horror, Halloween, Creepy's 31 Days of Horror, and The Great British Bake Off. <laughs> for those of you who may be joining us for the first time, Storytelling Podcast Week has live stream sessions like this one with top podcasters and storytellers from scripted fiction and nonfiction podcasts from across our world and our imaginations. We also have exclusive recorded episodes on the Storytelling Podcast Week or on the Storytelling Podcast Week channel for free. If you joined late or want to have another listen to these amazing podcasters, you can replay this live stream on the Storytelling Podcast Week channel. Storytelling Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetizing platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for this session, you can see we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience. For everyone listening, you can start your own live stream for free right here on the Podbean app. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to you. For, we look forward to having you for our next live stream Tuesday, November sixteenth at ten a.m. Eastern with Lauren Shippen and Brigham Snow for a special live episode on the College Tapes, the new season of the Bright Sessions. So, thank you again, John Motzi and Reg. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks for being here. Yes. Yeah, thanks Happy for listening. Halloween. Happy Halloween. Yay. Oh, my gosh.